You are listening to the Fox Den Sports Podcast. We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Coach's Corner edition of the Fox in Sports podcast. Along with my good friend, Marcy O'Shaer, I am Todd Fox. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Fox in Sports. That's two X's, Fox in Sports. And on Instagram at Fox in Sports podcast. And you can also subscribe to our new YouTube channel, Fox in Sports. And today we have a very, very special guest joining us, Mr. Billy Gazonis. Billy in 1977 uh, was the Herman Trophy Award winner for soccer, and, what, and that's the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy uh, for football. He was also the Soccer Magazine Monthly Magazine College Player of the Year, Division One First Team All American, uh, team selected by the National Soccer Coaches Association. Uh, let's see here, Soccer America Magazine selection as the nation one of the nation's top ten players. I know you guys were the national champions in 1977 as well. You went to a, had a professional career, 78 to 80 with the Tulsa Roughnecks. That's how I, how I uh, grew to know Billy. And then 1981 Calgary Boomer boomers in the NASL, then MISL 81 to 82 uh, with the New York arrows. And you guys won a championship there and an 82 to 84 with the Kansas city Comets. So Billy, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Todd. Awesome. And then Marcio, you kick it off. You're good. Thank you. Well, Bill, thank you, you know, for being here with us. You know, Todd just read an amazing resume that you have in soccer. But I'm always curious to, when I talk to, to people that play the game, and I'm always curious about going back when you were a kid, like what was that spark? Like what 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 made you as a kid? And of course, as a kid, not necessarily thinking that you're going to become a professional athlete, but what made you as a kid love the game? Like, what 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 was it that you say, okay, I love this game, I just want to play it? How was it? What what, what was that spark? <laughs> well, Marcio, actually, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a professional athlete. <laughs> great, great, great. Me too, but I don't have I don't have your skills, but me too. <laughs> so when I was really young, I loved baseball. Baseball was my first love, and then it it changed over to basketball. Uh, I remember at one point I figured if I grew three inches a year till I was a senior in college, I was going to be six foot two. I'd be tall enough to play in the NBA. But then um, my junior year in high school, I went to a soccer camp uh, at Bronx at Ryder University. And the head counselor was Manfred Shellshite and his assistant head coach counselor coach was uh, Charles Ping Pong Peruto. Well, Manfred um, Shellshite, he, he may be the most influential uh, soccer coach in this country because he spawned off of him coaches like Glenn Meyernick, Bob Bradley, Bruce Serene, all these guys. So after spending a week with Manfred, it, uh, it was like the light bulb went on, like what soccer was all about. It was like until then, I didn't have a clue. Manfred would get in front of the, uh, the campers every morning and he would demonstrate a different skill. And it was like amazing to me. And back then, Marcio, we didn't get to see soccer like the like the young kids now. They can see the best players in the world. We that was actually the first time they showed one night at the camp. They showed the 1970, and this was like in 
73, the 1970 Italy-Brazil uh, World Cup final. Yeah, there was, that was a spectacular team. And, and, and so more so that for me, it was like the light bulb went on. Yeah. And then uh, this Charles Ping Pong through to, he was a, he was a, a local legend in the Trenton area. And he, he, he became my mentor. And literally from my, the summer going into my senior year through my four years in college, Monday through Friday, every day we would go train from about 9.30 to 3.30 every Monday through Friday, every day. And, you know, or nowadays, no one will do anything without getting paid. His pay was my mother made breakfast for us before he picked me up. That was uh, and um, and he had a brilliant soccer mind. Uh, so, so that's how I fell in love with the game. And then uh, my senior year in, in high school. Uh, I, I had I'd hurt my leg and then I was playing in the state championship game. I, I kind of got hurt. I finished the game and later that night I had to go to the hospital. I ended up I had a severely stretched my ligaments and I was out for like three, four months. So my first game back uh, for, for junior ball, Timo Leakowski, who was back then probably considered the best college soccer mind in the country. He was the coach at Hartwick College, which was then a premier college program. He was coming to Trenton to see one of my teammates. So it was my first game back after like five months. And, and then I went up to visit the school and he basically told me, um, I said, I want to go to Harwick. He says, you're not good enough to play here. He said, you should go anywhere else. Not exactly what I wanted to hear. But in spite of that, I said, I'm, I, I decided I was going to Harwick College anyway. And he, he gratuitously invited me to preseason camp. And the preseason, and he didn't give me the time of day. He had all these New Jersey, these high school All-Americans and Glenn Myrnick, who came from a junior college, like terrific players. Uh, I was like almost like the ball boy. The end of uh, the preseason, he goes and beats with every player. He basically tells me, I don't see you ever playing on the varsity. And like my heart sank. But then he said, well, I'll give you a choice. You can stay on the varsity. You're never going to play. Or you can go to the junior varsity and be one of the better players on a team. I didn't hesitate. I said, I'll stay on the varsity. So throughout preseason, I, was, I would always get in the last four or five minutes of the preseason game. So our first regular season game was against Montclair. Montclair's in New Jersey would be the only game my parents would get to see. So I was really excited. I'd been preseason, you're going away to school, going to try out for a top, you know, 10 program with a coach that doesn't think you can play a little nerve wracking. So we get to the game. We're up one, nothing, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get in, you know, in the second half, da, 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 da. there's 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left. Whistle blows. I'm the only player on a team not to get in the game. It was, it was so humiliating. I went and saw my parents. I, you know, fought off the tears, hugged my mom, kissed her, hugged my dad, went back on the bus, back on the bus. My eyes were filled with tears, like the whole ride back. And, 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 and what'll sum up what I became that night or back then the drinking age was 18 years old. And Oneonta had like, they had like 50 bars. It was a college town, Oneonta State and, and Hartwick. And, you know, everyone's going to go out and celebrate. I, t I told the um, Mooch, uh, Myronick, my friend, teammate. No, I'm not going to go. I have something to do. I got my soccer ball. I went down to this park and I, I trained till like 12 o'clock at night under the light. So I, it, it became like my mantra, like doing secret training. So the second game would go to play Penn State. And Penn State had a bunch of players um, that I was familiar with because we played against them in local leagues. A, a couple were the, the Barr brothers who ended up being NFL kickers. And this one player, Richie Reese, um, I had played against him in the summer league. 
Well, we go to play Penn State, and they absolutely destroy us. They're up 5-1, to one, and this Richie Reese, who I played against, he was just cutting us up. So with, with like nine minutes left to go in the game, I get in the game, and I actually, on my first touch, almost scored a goal. We end up losing 5-1, to one, and that Monday, one of the starting midfielders quits the team. So I go tell Timo, and, and this Glenn Muchmarnik says, this is your opportunity. There's an opening in the midfield. Um, I go tell Timo I'd like to speak to him. And he says, okay. So I go take my shower. Uh, my heart is pounding. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I have a coach. He's one of the best coaches in the country. We just got beat five to one, and he doesn't think I can play anyway. So I went in there. He, he said, sit down across from Timo. He says, what did you want to talk about? I said, well, actually, Timo, I said, I should be playing. I said, actually, I said, I should be starting. And he had this like, like shock on his face. It was like silence. It seemed like forever. It was probably like six, seven seconds. He said, well, why would you say that? And I said, well, we have a lot of players who play scared on this team. They're timid because we had some of the freshman players. He, he just handed them starting jobs and, and going from high school to college, it's physical. They were scared out there. And I said, and also Richie Reese, the one player from Penn State, I said, I played against him in the summer twice, and I said, I put him in my back pocket. So Timo hesitates. He says, well, you, we're, you know, we're going to play UConn, University of Connecticut, on Wednesday. And uh, Timmy Hunter's their, like, all-American midfield candidate. He says, you think you can mark him? And, and I didn't hesitate. I said, well, I've never seen him play before, but I'm sure I can. And uh, that's how I got in the team, started in the team uh, and then, like I said, I would train, you know, like I said, in the summers, I would train those like 9 30, 10 o'clock to 3 30. And then I'd go home and we had a junior high. We used to go play pickup soccer. There could be like 20 guys there, go back till 6 till 8 30 or whenever it got dark. And when I was in school, I would, I would try to train uh, in off season two hours every day minimum in the racquetball courts by myself because. The racquetball courts are the, a wonderful place to train. You don't chase the ball. You touch it a thousand times. So so uh, that's how I kind of worked my way up. Uh, my freshman year, I played in the midfield a little bit left back. But but uh, Timo at the end of my freshman year actually said, if you're going to be in the starting 11, this was after I was in the starting 11 and we got to the final four, he said, you probably have to win a, a left back position. So once again, he, he kind of pushed me back like he just still didn't believe in me. And when my sophomore year came, I, I became the left back. I was playing really good. But until the end of the year, when we had some injuries, uh, he, he finally gave me a shot at, at, at midfield. It's, he made this big switch. He put uh, Glenn Muchmarnik, who was probably the best player in the country, a sweeper. I went to central midfield, and then kind of everything clicked thereafter. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, hearing your story, I mean, uh, you know, I have to – two small boys, I mean, 13 and 10. And what I try to, to teach them is, you know, no matter how good you are, I mean, there's there's a lot of training, a lot of effort, a lot of, like not every coach will see what you got. You got to show them. So your 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 story just is amazing aspiration, inspiration for all of us. So thank you for, for sharing that. Todd, I have one more question before you. Uh, as a kid growing up in Brazil, you know, I, I was able to see these amazing players from Brazil playing in the National League, but also uh, we were able to see a lot of the European leagues. So, you know, in the 80s, the Brazilian 
TV networks. It would broadcast a lot of the, the Italian games, sometimes the German games, but mostly Italian because the 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 Italian league back in the 80s was the, what, what it is today, the Premier League. So all the good players yeah. were there. So do you remember like when you start kind of a playing in the college level and professional level, I know you played against amazing players as well, but who are, who are the players that you were looking back in the seventies? Oh my gosh, I you know I want to be like this guy or look at look at this guy. I want to do something well, like similar. You know what, Marcio? Like I said, we when before before when in college, I don't know if it was like my junior year or something. They came out with this show called Soccer Made in Germany. They would show highlights of the Bundesliga. It was well, it was West yep. Germany then, of course. Um, and and that was like the first time we got to see on like a weekly basis the top players, like you talk about, like the Italian league was where the best uh, the best foreign players yep. went. Like you know, England, and you could only have two foreign players playing at yep. a time, etc. So, but but I was um, fortunate. Most of the players I got to play against George Best. I got to play against Teofilo Kubias, who I think in the yes. 70 world cup was the second best player in the in the yep. world cup right um gerd muller uh for me though uh, franz beckenbauer but johan Cruyff, when he came over here he was still and to this day i i don't i i can remember the situation um it was at rfk stadium and for some reason i ended up out wide and he had the ball and they were in their attacking 30 it was about 35 yards out and i can remember thinking me and Johan Cruyff, I said, you know what? I'm just going to push him out wide, let him serve the ball <laughs> in. That's the best I could do. You know what, Marcio? He did this. He exploded. It was like I was in quicksand. And, and you know, but that whole game, he like went, he, he was just amazing. He was just, I always think of him like, you know, people don't mention him as one of the, like in the Palais or Ronaldo, Messi, but to me, and and then what he did as far as contributing, like coaching, like what Barcelona became in Pep. Yeah, exactly. I, I was going to make a point. Like I, I was not. I, I was born in '76, so I didn't, I didn't watch much of Johan Cruyff as a player, but I could see him as a coach in in Barcelona, especially when he was able to coach Ronaldinho, which for me, oh, for me, my my. Those two years of Ronaldinho in Barcelona, he was amazing. Unfortunately, he wanted to do something else, party, clubbing, whatever. But, I mean, that Barcelona under Cruyff as a coach, that was a pretty amazing team. So I was not fortunate to see him as a player, but as a coach, he was he was, he was, was amazing. amazing. He, he, I remember the 74 World Cup because that was the first World Cup, actually, we could see. We'd have to go pay-per-view to go to, like, yep, the closed circuit. Yep, yep. But I remember him against Argentina, Marcio. He was running with the ball. Like he, 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 a lot of it, he, well, I'll say Messi played like him where, where they, when they're at top speed, every stride. Now, Messi was, would be the left foot. He would touch the ball where Kreif would be the right foot. So the ball's so close. Yeah. The Argentinian players were literally just trying to like tackle him like around the waist to stop. It was unbelievable. And then he mentally, I think he was so far ahead of the game, which a lot of great players aren't great coaches. We know that. But he talked back then about the goalkeeper being the extra player when you have possession of the ball. Exactly. I mean, I, I was, you know, today talking to Todd about this. I mean, of course, I think guys like Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, they make a lot of money. There's a lot of, there's no who, who it's a no new era of internet and all of that. But the amount of players that I saw 
even from the 80s to the 90s that either couldn't reach that level because they either went party clubbing and do something else or they got injured. And I and I'm very probably people are gonna put a lot of comments. I don't put Messi into my top 10 players. I don't put Messi into my top 10 players because guys like Beckenbauer, Cruyff, Rivellino, people don't know who it is. I mean, those guys, it's what they do. And remember, when you guys were professional in the 70s, when I started playing in the as 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 a kid, the fields were completely different. Today's like a carpet. You know, we have those nice cleats, the nice ball, nice field. I used to play in Brazil as a kid, barefoot, barefoot in the dirt. There's no grass. Grass is only on the sidelines. You know, and well, like, you know, so that talent in the 70s playing today with the equipment and the fields, I don't know. I don't know if guys like Messi, of course, guys like Messi would be a good player, but I don't know if they will be in that level. And I always say, like, you know, the rivalry between Brazil and Argentina is huge. But I say this. Maradona, in my opinion, is a thousand times better player than Messi, my humble opinion. What Maradona did going to a club like Napoli, there was oh. nothing. And putting this club to become a European champions, you got to be way special to, to do that. So anyway, I have a tremendous amount of respect of the players from the 70s, the 80s that you guys, you, know, you play with a very, it was roots, like, you know, oh, tough, yeah. tough environment. So... Anyways. It's like you said, that 70 team, and it's amazing how like Rivellino evolved from a left winger, right, to a midfield general. Like I, I got to, um, at the Bicentennial Cup in 76, I have a friend who's a, a reporter and he got me a press pass and I got to stand next to the Brazilian bench when Italy played uh, Brazil. I got a picture with uh, Zico and, and Rivellino was just spectacular. Zico, and at that time, it was the first time I saw Falcao and I said, this guy, man, he's going to be a player. And I, I was just, maybe I was lucky because he, he was another one of them, like unbelievable. And I think it's the, that 82 team was the most talented team never to win the world cup. Yes. And that, that, that was, I remember I was seven years old. Remember my dad is still alive, a huge soccer fan, but anyway, that generation of players, it's just, you know, you guys on the, on the seventies, like, it's just amazing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but I, I think if you guys could play, if you want to go back to your 25 years old, putting you today with your determination, with your work ethics, with the material, the equipment. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think you know Marshall, like I said, I didn't take up soccer to, like serious play with 16. Of course, then I, you know, train, you know, like six, seven hours a day in a summer. But man, I always said, and if I got from a young age, loved the game and got to see the best players in the world. I said, I'd be able to make the, the ball sing. I mean, it would be nothing I couldn't do with the ball. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Billy, tell me, so I want to know a little bit very, because you're from New Jersey. Is that correct? Yes. And your mom and dad, I, I, I want, I want to, and then I want to move into uh, the, like your 1977 season, but the, your mom and dad, and then the Hamilton sweet shop, I, I'm, just whatever, whatever you want. The to Hamilton. Okay, that. so in um, in 1940, my grandfather, my father's father, he bought the Hamilton Sweet Shop and then the two properties next to it. Um, one was a lot of different things. It ended up being actually Michelle Cheesecakes, the business my brother started. Next one was a liquor store, 
And then like six months later, my uh, for $8,000 in 1940, which was a lot of money back then. Sure. And uh, six months later, my grandfather uh, had a heart attack and passed away in his sleep. So my father, you know, he couldn't go to college. Uh, so him and my uncle basically took over, you know, was 19, 20 years old. Uh, they, they, they leased it out for like two years during World War II. But um, all my, my brothers, my two brothers and my, um, on my uncle's side, my cousins, we all, that was like our first job. You know, we'd go to the sweet shop, you know, it, and it was across yeah. from the high school and a hospital. And at that time, the hospital didn't even have a cafeteria. So I, as a little kid, I could just remember it was always yeah. so busy. And the, they kind of nicknamed my dad the bouncer because if the kids were acting up, my dad was the one who threw them out. But uh, <laughs> a lot of fond memories and, and nice meals there. Sure. I'm assuming, um, obviously, how proud they were um, of you, of, of how what you've done. But then the 77 season. Uh, you know what, Todd? Um, my father's the greatest influence on my life uh, yeah. by far. Uh, I feel so, uh, you know, fortunate. Um, and, and if, yes, he was very proud of me. Um, a couple of things. One, I remember when I started getting a lot of, say, more recognition that I was a good soccer player. Uh, my father told my mother, he said, if people want to talk about Billy, that's fine, but we never talk about Billy because, you know, we had some people that we were friendly with. They always would brag about their children and, and, and then, you know, things don't turn out or just, it's sure. not a, I don't think it's a good trait. Um, so, but the one thing when we won the national championship and then also when we, um, when I did receive the player of the year award, the Trentonian was the big main newspaper and, and and my father they sold newspapers at the luncheon end and i was the whole back page of the newspaper so i knew that day he was gonna be very proud you know showing it to the customers how did they tell you guys in 1977 how did you find out of being the player of the year uh i think did they call me we went to the senior bowl um and art napolitano my uh my teammate for four years and he's from the trenton area we went and i think then the, uh god i don't know Oh, no, I think it was the night before Giorgio Gorman, the reporter, called me to tell me you won the award and, you know, wanted some comments because it was going to be in the paper sure. the next day. I think that's how I yeah, got it. Yeah, that's pretty but, cool. Well, you know what, Todd? I'm very proud, you know, obviously to be considered the best in the country at something I'm extremely proud of. But and I always say this, it pales in comparison to winning the national championship. Sure. My OK, case. no yeah. comparison. How was that? Well, how um, that season? It was, you know what, Todd, we, like I said, so my freshman year, we really started off like terrible. Like I told you at the beginning, like this is hard with this powerhouse. After we beat Montclair, we, we get beat five to one by Penn State and then UConn three nothing. This is unheard of, like at Hartwick. So the team, Timo, he reconfigured stuff. Um, he actually went, and this is bizarre. He, he, we almost played with two right wingers. Mm. And we'll call it a center forward, a, a central attacking player. And it was very hard. It was, I've never seen it before, ever again. But it was hard for teams to understand how to defend. Like, okay, now do they take one of their center backs out? Um, and if the, the, they move the right back over to the left side, and then it left a lot of space for the left midfielder or left uh, uh, back to attack. It was crazy. We fought and we scraped. And we ended up playing UConn in the regional finals to go to the final four. The team that beat us three nothing, we beat them two nothing. So that team really was scrappy. Howard was, Howard was a bunch of like I, I, guys from Ireland and Africa, uh, the Caribbean and, and and Africa, very skillful, terrific team. They ended up beat, we lost two to one, 
And um, I thought it was ironic that it, it, we ended up, we had to reconfigure against them and we did like a 4-2-4 and it was me and Glenn Myernick yeah. against Ian Bain and this other uh, player. And I, I kind of realized I came a long way from high school to be playing. Because to me, him and Farouk Krishi were like, say that they should have been like co-player of the year. Now our sophomore year, we, 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 we kind of, I want to say struggled. We just didn't play good. And Mooch left the team for a while to go to the Pan Am games and Olympic qualifying games. Like I said, for whatever reason, Timo still, you know, he handed the, his freshman recruits into the midfield and I was the left back. Like I said, I was playing really good. I mean, I, you know, two weekends in a row, I, I got the game winning goal as a left back. And um, the last regular season game, it was at Penn State. It was kind of a meaningless game because we already qualified for the tournament and, and we were seated where we were. And, and some players were injured and some had finals. And Timo put me in the central midfield position. And, and, and like we talk about the fields or, or Marshall commented, Penn State's got this beautiful big grass field. And, and it's kind of when you get on that kind of field, you feel like no one can take the ball from you. And, and, and I played central midfield and Mooch went back to sweeper and we just clicked. We, the team just, we just started, we could, you know, put 15, 20 passes together. And um, we ended up going to Cornell who beat us on their turf in uh, earlier in the year, three, nothing in the New York final. We ended up losing two to one, a game we totally dominated, and our goalkeeper slipped on a back pass, and the ball mm. went in. But, but that from that point on, the team, we just were we were special. We went we went to the Dallas and played this Mr. Pip tournament in the spring, and in three consecutive days, we beat SIU, who was a powerhouse, four to one. Quincy was like an NAI powerhouse, but they were as good as any Division One teams. We beat them three nothing, and then Clemson, who had this unbelievable rivalry, they were all like. African players are from Guyana and, and it, they would, we'd have nasty games with them and we beat them three to two. We just became very successful. So we lost like then the last two, we lost at Franklin field, which is like Skelly stadium, Yeah. tight, really crowned old. So you, you know, you can't play through balls. You just can't pace it properly because the ball just runs away. And then if it's on a, a diagonal pass, the, the crown just pushes it out of bounds. And it was like the worst for surface for us. But Indiana, that's what they played on. They were all big athletic. So we lost in the semifinals. And then the last year, University of San Francisco, who won that year, and they were a terrific team. And they had, you know, back then college soccer didn't have an age limit. They have some different rules now. Okay. So they had like like uh, Tony Igwe and Andy Atuebo. They were like 28, 29 years old. They played for like the Nigerian national team. And then they had some older Norwegian guys. And we played them at Berkeley, California. It was like a home game for them in the finals. We played Brown in the semis, and they got up one nothing. And I don't know why they were cursing and saying all this stuff. And we hadn't played them, in, any of us, in four years against them. And we, um, this John Young Scottish player hit like a 25-yard laser in the corner, make it one-to-one. And then the beginning of the second half, uh, they tried to play an offside track trap. And I, I ran from the midfield. The ball was played over the top. You know, the keeper came out and just lobbed it over his head in, and, and that was it. We beat them four to one. Then San Francisco, like I said, they, they were – they had won two times – two they were – twice in a row they won the national championship. Uh, we beat them two to one. It, it was uh, it, it was a very nice feeling. Pretty special, huh? Oh, that is yeah. awesome. That's great. And then – so in 1978, you get drafted by the Roughnecks in the NASL? Yeah, they yeah. – um. It, <laughs> No lemon who was very good to me. He really wanted me. And, and they did this. Um, 
it was the Hawaii team came to yeah. Tulsa. Right. They really didn't want the players. So, but for PR purposes, they they traded the rights of eight players so they could select me the third pick because they knew the first two picks who the other teams were going to take. Now, having said that, Todd, I love Tulsa. I love sure. Tulsa. Sure. I love the, the people. I think are very nice people. Little, sure. you know, friendlier than. And I love New Jersey, but you know, they're a little friendlier. Sure. Um, but for me, it was a it was a poor decision um, for two reasons. Um, one, the field was the worst field for someone like me to play on. It was so tight and narrow, and they had that crown. And two, maybe even more importantly, that the team was predominantly English. And back then, like now, England plays better soccer. But back then, it was you know tons of long ball to the target, and and you get bypass, and and I needed the ball at my feet, and and. So it was it was a really poor decision on my you know looking back sure. on my part. But how was it different to play? Because when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't realize that that field was smaller. Then I watched TV and see the Cosmos had a huge field. What? How different tactically or strategized did you? What 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 did you have to do differently? Well, it just was okay. So watch so um. When we played the diplomats, uh, do you remember Iraj Donafard? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're playing the diplomats, and Iraj is marking Cruyff. Now, remember, now it's different me marking Cruyff in RFK Stadium or him in a central position in Skelly Stadium because it's right. so tight, there's no space. And the whole game, Iraj was kicking him, kicking him every time he touched the ball. Da, 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 da. Late in the game, Cruyff got the ball. He pushed it a little too far ahead of him. I think intentionally, and he went over the top on a tackle and almost broke Iraj's leg. <laughs> okay, yeah. But but it just it you know what, Todd? Like even the Cosmos. Remember the the, the one year in the playoffs we beat them. Mm -hmm. Um, it just you're just you know time uh, space equals time and time equals space and it's just so hard to play on that field if teams are high pressuring you. It's a very right. difficult. And like I said, for me, it was probably the last place I should have been. I should have been on a big grass field somewhere. Well, I'll tell you as a kid. So I started watching my, and I told you this um, earlier, but my dad was a, uh, was an usher for the games, So I would go to a lot of the games. Um, majority of them. The first year, the roughnecks were there. I went to several of the games. The first one I went to, there was two games in a row. We beat is either, either Chicago sting and Colorado caribou's or vice versa. We beat them both four one. I remember that. And I thought, Oh man, this is, it was Colorado first. Cause then we went to Chicago or then we beat Chicago four one. Then a couple of days later played them in Chicago and got by, beat five two. But I just remember, Oh, this is, you know, this is great scoring and all that. I was number seven, the first team I played for. Um, and I thought of, okay, I'm J I'm Jimmy Redfern. The <laughs> next year, my next, my across the street neighbor uh, was my coach. His name is David Roof. And he goes, all right, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be number 10. Yeah, that's Pele's number. I go, Pele, I'm going to be Billy Gazonis. I'm, I'm Billy Gazonis. That's who I am. Cause I, I didn't understand at the time, you know, but, right. I, mean, but I was like, I'm synonymous with 10 and our team, when our team name was the Disney roughneck. So I was like, I'm Billy Gazonis. That's who I am. So it was pretty, uh, pretty cool to me just to see that. But I just, the Roughnecks brought a big, uh, you know, a following to Tulsa, and it was just really fun to watch. I know there'll be a ton of my friends that uh, grew up Roughneck fans that'll watch this. Any any stories you've got, I mean, that, that you can tell or anything like 
just from it i mean like what was your had you ever been to tulsa before or was that no. your first time yeah no yeah. that was the first time yeah. um you know what we like um you you mentioned like billy caskey and, and victor yeah. and these guys are they're the salt to the earth. They, yeah. it's, it's hard not to love these guys uh, yeah. for so many reasons, uh, besides being really good players. Uh, I got along really good with them. They were younger. Yeah. Um, Charlie Mitchell kind of took me under his wing, okay. um, uh, you know, about the ropes and professional soccer yeah. and all that. Um, he he kind of, he looked after me one day. Here's a story we can have. Remember the second, was it the second year they brought in a, a Yugoslavian when Yugoslavia was still a country, a contingent of Yugoslavian players. And um, we ended up having a big fight between some of the Yugoslavian players and some of the British players. Okay. Wow. In practice, it was pretty intense. Wow. Uh, the, the team, you know, the coaches of different personalities. Like when I, when I was drafted there, I was supposed to go to Manchester United after the season and 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 train with whoever the you know maybe okay. the reserves or, or or one of those sure. not the first team and um and then Bill Folks got fired yes. Yes. mid-season uh I I I wasn't happy with him and I don't I don't want to disparage anyone sure. I, I thought sure. the training sessions uh, with him left something to be desired now, you know, he was one of the Busby babes, one of the few people that survived the plane crash. Um, you know, then Alex Gatork took over. Mm -hmm. But, you know, coaches, you know, they they have the tip, the players that they like, they like a certain style or whatever. So then Alan Hinton came in yeah. and, you know, he brought in his, uh, you know, the Darby County guys that had a lot of success with uh, Brian Clough. Uh, and, and, you know, there's just, just there was always um, there was always going to be a divide because as an American and not just me or the Tulsa Roughneck Americans, we were kind of discriminated against in our own country. Mm -hmm. So because they said, well, we can only, you, you only have to play two North Americans, it actually worked against us. So that would be it. And right. it would typically be, uh, it would either be a goalkeeper or for sure one of the two was going to be a defender. Right. That's just the way it was. And, yeah. it, and, you know, for a little bit, they put Billy Sauter up front in an attacking position. Yes. But a lot of times, you know, in the skilled positions, they weren't going to play you. And even... When I went to Calgary, Al Miller, um, who's an American, he was at Dallas. He, um, he, he believed midfield had to be the strongest position, uh, area of the team. And we had in the midfield, the uh, Jurgen Roybo, who played for Bayern Munich. We had Helmut Kremers, who was with FC Cologne and played the national team. And then we had, um, was it Hector Molina? Uh, he played with Boca Juniors. You know, so it, it was hard to get in the team and they wanted me to play like an outside back, which right. I really I wasn't comfortable with, but, but um, there was a lot of, uh, it was very hard being an American because, because they looked down on you and the coach, the coach was English. He was going to favor his guy. So if we were equal or even I was a little better, he's yeah. still going to play the guy he brought in because sure. he's one, he recruited him. Sure. So uh, they've come a long way, you know, and I know you want to bring up Marcio at a certain point up our national team. And that's why I'll wait for those questions. Yeah, no, no they, because like I, I feel I feel that to be honest, uh, when I came the first time to the U.S. to study, like I I did travel before with my family, Disney, whatever. But when I when I moved here, I was 14, 15 ish years old, freshman at high school, and then I, I remember like walking to the soccer field, me the Brazilian guy, everybody like, okay, this guy's from Brazil, he sure is gonna make. The varsity and I and I was not I I didn't understand that because I I always have to fight to make 
the team back in my hood in Brazil. So you no, know, no, I'm not in. I'm not in the team. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta practice. I gotta train. I gotta do that. But in the end, even the American coach did exactly what you did. We did have. I did have some American friends, pretty talent. I, you know, I play midfield just like you. But and and then he put all the Latino kids to play, and I say, okay, but those guys are not that good as that guy. And <laughs> and then you know, the goalie was American. The the whole defensive team was American. But, you know, but I said, coach, like, you know, put John, whatever, like this. No, 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 no. You guys are way better than that. Like, why? I, I didn't, I didn't understand that. So I want to, I want to pick some, you know, questions on that. Okay. So for me, you know, when I see the soccer in the U.S. And remember, I have two boys playing soccer. Okay. But in Brazil, soccer for most of the kids, there are low-income kids. Soccer is their way out, okay? Just like football and basketball here in the U.S. It's their way out, yes. right? And every park that I go, everything that I go as a kid, two flip-flops becomes a goal. You play barefoot, voila, you have a pickup game, okay? So I still think that until the U.S. here, we don't plant this mindset that soccer is fun, it's easy, it's cheap, you play anywhere. Because right now to play soccer here in the club level, oh. I got to play, got to pay $100, $200 a month for each kid plus travel plus uniform. Like it's not affordable. It's not an affordable sport. So I, I, from your mindset, from your perspective, being a professional athlete, college athlete, like what do you think is going to take for us here in the U.S. to see that happening? And then we can call ourselves we are a soccer powerhouse, just like, because the money is here, the, you know, we can buy talent as, you know, the U.S. tried to do that in the 70s, but I don't, I don't think that's a good strategy. Uh, you see how English is playing out. The Premier League is great. Uh, the English team's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry if people want to lash me out, but it's not going to go anywhere. So what do you think it's going to take or what do you think we need to do as a country to turn the U.S. into a soccer powerhouse? Well, you know, Marcio, I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head because, um, like my my friend uh, Glenn Muchmarnik, who passed away, a few of the the, the coaches in the Trenton area, they or they organized um, like for inner city to get the inner city kids to play because yeah. you know we, we we don't have to be here and debate like who are the best athletes or in general if we're going to stereotype and all that. Um, and they started then the one guy who ran uh, he passed away that was running it and then so they're trying to revive it but but it, it is a big it is a big con concern and even with the national team you don't see a lot of latinos on the team right now right yeah. so so the question right is how do we engage these young kids in the inner city instead of going to the basketball court to have a little soccer ball amongst three or four of them and go play a small sided game and and i'm not sure the answer to that it's um because and like I, even here we live we live in a nice suburban area uh and soccer is not even part of the middle school program so i'm and, and i'm saying like my kids go to public school my, my kids go private. so even into the public school system in some states some counties soccer is not part of the program so i mean that would be for me something to okay let's just make the kids feel and touch soccer maybe they can feel good about it but if it's not even part of the public school system like how are we going to do that? I don't know. The other thing, um, Morris, you, I think 
the, this, how they grow up, they play it differently. Like, so when I was um, like say 16, 17, which is kind of older now as far as, but when I played with the men, when I played up with the men's team, say, we would go to tournaments, play in North Jersey. We were the only American team there. We'd be playing against, you know, some 30 year old Ecuadorian guy that's built like a fire hydrant. And if I nutmeg him, I know he's going to try to break my leg. But I'm saying yeah. we, we became more um, soccer savvy versus just yes. playing, like you say, against like yeah. all this pay for play, like, you know, the Oklahoma City teams and the Tulsa teams, they travel to Chicago and then they, they're still playing each other instead of playing different ethnic groups. And exactly, 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 exactly. Right. I 100% agree with that. I grew up playing my pickup games, rich and poor. Black, white, yellow, fat, short, tall, fast, slow, older. Like I used to play when I was 14 with older people, like 35. And, you know, they're not going to say, hey, you're nice. They're going to, boom, they're going to, you know, elbow me. And you, ha you have to develop that. So what I'm trying to do with my kids is I, every other Saturday, I say, kids, call all your friends. They play against me. And guess what? I'm elbowing them. In a, in a, in a, I'm not going to hurt them, but I say, guys, you know, that's it. Because, you know, everyone now, it's so like, oh, my gosh, the word is so politically correct that you can know, dude, soccer is a contact sport. You got to You got it. I'm not saying you got to be violent, but you got to understand that you're allowed to use your body. You're allowed to do some 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 pushing. And that's, you know, in the rules of the game. But they don't want to do that. And also, my other question for you is this. I've seen, and again, I love England. I work for a British company. I went to English, England many, many times. I love great friends. But as you said, when you were describing the, the, the British soccer life, the transition between defense and offense, all long balls. So guys like you that want to touch the ball. So here, what I'm seeing in the US, I don't know, maybe because of the language, they're bringing a bunch of British coaches for the youth uh, that's, that's and then when I see when I see the tryouts, what, what I see like I, I and, and then my wife's like, you're not gonna say anything, stay here because I can't like dudes like you you got a, a guy that just because he's a little bit taller, just because he's a little bit faster, and you know kids in that age they you know has no skills, they don't know how to if you do like a long shot, they can't control the ball, but just because they're fast. They're always playing those long shots. Why? Because they want the club to win tournaments. So then they attract more kids and more kids play. And that's all. But, but you know, Marcio, it's it's a problem. And it's amazing to me, in spite of that, we're, we're, we're producing more and more good players because it's all about the money. And they think it's like it, it would be absurd to say, well, every American, if they went to Holland, they'd be the, they, they could be a great baseball coach because they come from America. It's the same like the English. They have the accent and, and people get enamored with it like it means that they understand. And considering England was it, – it's funny because when we went on tour with Tulsa, which was then called the first – English, the first division, They that was when they first started having some black players in the playing. They didn't have any. And at that yeah. time, I said, well, you know what? England – and I don't like – I hate the way England, the English style of play, right? So I thought, well, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna be a world power. But you know what, Marcio? It's taken what? That was 
50 years ago almost that they're now now of course they have some very good black players in the first team but but they still they tend to revert back right when it comes to crunch time in those important games exactly like still like look i've always watched okay england england like i'm always about facts how many world cup titles one and six, they hosted. Six, <laughs> it was questionable at home questionable yeah. at home okay mm -hmm. after that nothing happens i don't see any english player today even today they always say okay this guy oh my gosh i i i just want to watch that i want i want to watch the premier league because of the, all the other players because well, right. yeah. they have the money and then they put together a great team of course you want to see but there's never uh, and i and i grew up having international idols so Drive was one of them uh in my age like i like maldini's Oh my oh. God. Even even the dad and the son, Barezi, uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, well, Barezi was nasty, right? Well, if you're if you're the Italian captain, you have to be nasty. nasty. Right? That's, that's know, even even even, <laughs> even the Dutch guys like Van Basten, Gullit, and oh. you know, like those were players. Like, oh my gosh, those guys! Are, I never had anyone from England that so said, this guy is my idol. No, yeah. I. I I can have a guy like from Cameroon, from Egypt, Salah. I pick any country. I never had one guy from England that I said, okay, maybe a guy that was fun to watch was Paul Guy's coin just because it was crazy. Yeah, he was, was far he, from being a, a great soccer player. Yeah, he, he so, wasn't. <laughs> so what, what I don't get as a soccer fan and a guy that's still playing, okay, if I want to build, if I have a company right now, let's say I have a, I'm, I'm doing a business. Where are the best engineers? Or let's say they are in South Africa. Okay, I'm going to go there. I'm gonna... But now, just because of the language, I'm recruiting English. And again, just to be fair, my little kid had an English coach, amazing guy, like very unique. But he was a, he was a something out, outside of the English box. Right. Why we're not bringing coaches from other countries that are truly, because I don't see, I, I have a hard time understanding what is the american soccer way of playing so let's say you perfectly describe the the british they go to brazil it's about controlling the ball controlling the game skilling okay great and then my question to all of this is what's the american style and 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 what do you think we need to do to either improve that style or to change that style you know what marcio i like you look like um geographically speaking sometimes the weather conditions can can dictate how we play right so in england not to give them a pass but a lot of times it's cold it's wet windy yeah, 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 it's not the yeah, same yeah. like when you grow up and you're playing uh like in the flavelas it's warm and you know it's on cement you're stepping on the ball and pulling it back and all that uh i don't know if we, and we and we have distinct areas right so if you grew up in minnesota for six months seven months out of the year it's going to be cold if you're playing outdoor soccer it's 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 hard in uh, February. Yeah. Uh, you know, then you got Southern California. It it, I would I would think we're gonna we're gonna gravitate to a more of a, a the the skillful because it seems some of the younger national teams um, have produced some very yeah. good players. And my one friend who watches everything, he's retired. He just constantly watches. He said if um that recent was it the U seventeen World Cup. He said if you didn't know the teams and it was Brazil playing USA. Technically, just looking, you wouldn't have known the difference, which to me is a is a, a great, great thing. Yeah, it's just it is a wonderful it, thing. 
Yeah. So, but how he ends up playing, it's like a, a style. Like, like I read something recently, and it was interesting, like how Germany, they haven't had a lot of success. Yes. <laughs> we know besides the last World Cups, but someone blamed Pep Guardiola. This is just what I'm telling. I'm not agreeing with this. Yeah, yeah, because when yeah. they went to Bayern Munich, they changed their style of play to much more possession. Yep. And and now it, it, it just threw them off. Now, I don't know if the Germans, because they're more um, because they're more interracial now and, and, and sometimes say the, the Turkish players or the African descent players that are German citizens, they have a they play a little differently where 20 years ago, the Germans, they, they all played the same way. They all had that. That focus, that they, they yeah. had that will to win, even when they didn't have good national teams, they were very difficult to beat. So I don't know if, I don't know where that comes, like, because like I said, Germany's changed their style, what, the last two World Cups, they haven't gotten to the second round? Yeah, but but but, but even even the same thing is happening in Brazil. I have a, I have a little crazy theory is, you, you quote one of the biggest, probably the biggest, in my opinion, talent-wise from position to position in Brazil, 1982. I think there were more talent than this, even than the 1970. In terms of right. every position was yep. made, okay, but we didn't have winning. If you if you go back and see the history of World Cups, Brazil, 82, 86, 90, for me, it's just a declining. Boy. And my theory is this. Back in the 80s and the 90s, the European leagues, you couldn't have more than three foreigners playing for them. Okay, now we don't. Have, I, I think they don't have any, any any limits. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm seeing over and over, and one of my best friends, my childhood friend, he's a he's a he's a he's a player agent, like a soccer player agent. He he works for the big players. He's doing extremely well. So and, and he's he's the one that pointed out. Say, Morris, look, now people are coming here in Brazil, and they're signing kids when they are 12, 13. So they're not ready yet. So you're pulling a kid that it's I would say five to six years to become fully a player and you insert them into a European system, which is position and, and, you know, running because I was mentioned to, to Todd before one of the few things that I, people don't know about the Brazilian style is the futsal. It's yep. that, it's that ability to play in the little, little camps, quick yep. thinking touches, boom, 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 boom. And then we, when you when you get when you take a kid out of this environment especially at that age group like 12 to 16 exactly and then you put them into a position whatever you're just changing them so you know a guy that could be so i i i right now when i look into the brazilian team i said okay when i grew up every single man player in the brazilian team was either the the best or the second best in the league or in their team Right now, they're not. No. They're not. So that's the like when I talk about system, like we're killing the Brazilian way of playing because we're taking the young talent too young, and we're putting them into a system which is not not, not natural for us. So then the analogy that I'm that, that, that I'm trying to make is okay, what can we do in the U.S. to kind of uh, bypass that? Because different from you know soccer is different from football and and you know college. Nowadays, not in your age, but nowadays, yes. you know, college soccer is, doesn't drive as many audience, as many monies and all that. And, you know, if the MLS becomes the Premier League, P 
people are going to do the same. The Miami is going to go to Brazil and going to sign up for a kid for 15, 14 years old oh, and yeah. bring here and do that. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how the MLS will play that game. They're going to try to become the new Premier League. But I'm still waiting to see what can we do as a country to make soccer more popular. And I'm dying to see someone like Messi or Neymar or Pelé like born in the U.S. Because I think that is going to change um, the, the game. The, it, you know what, Marcio? It, it, it's, it's interesting. Just um, because our system is a, almost, like you say, a pay for play, we miss out on, on, on so many players who maybe could have be special. Uh, and and be, like you said, the coaches, the trainers, it's all about winning. It's really not developing the player because if they win, they get more players. The club gets more money. It's a, you know, it's the, it's, you know, capitalism, you know, at its best. So, and, and unfortunately, I don't think there's enough money. Like we say, we, we get some, um, this organization in Trenton, they get a little money to go after some of the kids, but you know, could you imagine if you could do it in New York City or in Los Angeles with the Latinos and 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 really like develop them? But the other side is we play so many the kids play so many games instead of like for me, I'd rather go train in a racquetball court for two hours and go play yes. a game. I'm gonna get what yes touches in the game. I'm gonna get a thousand touches in the racquetball court. Bill, I don't know how, but some way somehow I'm gonna try to get you to Oklahoma to give you a seminar and talk with the coaches just what you said. <laughs> I couldn't give two cents about having my son playing every other weekend. I would rather have him playing small field, getting developed like the other day. And, and you know, my son, they, they hate me when I go talk to their, to their friends because, okay, let me see how we control the ball. And then I throw a ball in the air. They don't know what to do. Like, they don't know how to use your chest or your right. basic stuff controlling the ball like handling the ball stuff that happens on the field i don't see the coach i i remember i i used to have a, a coach that he was the biggest influence in my life we would train three times a three times a week and then like monday wednesdays and friday and then saturday we like game game all over the, the neighborhood mondays and wednesdays was all about skill Touching the ball, you throw the ball and you have to control. You pass the ball. It was boring, of course, with a kid you want to play. And if we did well on the two days, then on Friday maybe we would have a scrimmage. Maybe, maybe we would have a scrimmage. And that was it. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have a scrimmage today. But for years, from seven year old to forty for seven years, yeah, us training basic stuff and then when my kids say hey dad how can I dribble the ball like that yeah because I had to train like that when I was your age and you guys are here playing video games no 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 go outside the backyard dribble the ball by yourself and that's the kind of a why and then they got very mad oh we lost the, the tournament and then I go to them and say dude look I'm gonna be straight honest with you the odds that you're gonna be a professional soccer player it's Zero 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 one. If you want to become zero 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 one to one percent, you gotta get your ass out there and just train as hard as you can. And you and you know that tournament. I know for you it counts, but it's not making you a better soccer player. Player, let, let me. It's not. So hearing you, a professional athlete and a Hall of Famer, and saying that, oh my gosh, I wish every single coach in the U.S. 
could listen to the podcast and let's say I would trade any game for two hours in a racquetball for because that's what we need. Yeah. That's what we need. <laughs> it's uh, my youngest daughter is not that young that she's 26. Uh, she's in medical school. She was a she was a very gifted soccer player. She hated it. She wasn't the greatest athlete. She wasn't the kid that you say had the blinding speed, but she literally could would do things with the ball that she wouldn't even know she did. Like, I mean, really special things. Her her coach, her coach um at, at prep school was this Jennifer Grubb, who was she played on the women's national team seven times, was a four-time first team all-American in college. And she, you know, she said to uh, Colette would say, if your daughter wants to commit to soccer, I'll call any coach in the country for it. That's how good she was. But the point I'm going to make is her club team was a really good team. And, and one um, weekend they were going to a tournament. Um, I'm trying to remember where, where they were going to end up spending like, it was going to come out between, uh, it was Ohio. I think they were going to go one city in Ohio, then another. So they were going to spend, I figured it out. It was me some like 14 hours in the bus and they were going to play two games. And I was like, why? You're better off staying home and practicing for four or five hours. You're going to have more touches than you're going to right. sit in the bus. It was just, it's just so just backwards how to develop players. Well, I closed my case with that, Todd, because Bill, sure. all respect, I, I, I am with you. I think the mindset needs to, to change. And, you know, that thing, of, I mean, of course, it's nice as a kid. You know, I wish it could have as many tournaments as my kids have, of course. No, no, it's, it, 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 it's good to go out and to compete. But at the same time, I think they over-exaggerate in the number of tournaments, number of whatever, and they underestimate the value of developing a player. Because developing a player, as you said, you start this, this, this interview saying, hey, I had to overcome every single barrier i had to train more than anyone and i don't think here at at least on this club system that you pay to play we are developing that mindset and that mindset is going to carry you for life like even if the one of it i mean 99.9 of they're not going to become a player but i work hard in my life to be able to provide to my friend because i was taught as a kid that i gotta work hard to get even a place in the bench Okay, right. and, and, and here the system that oh no everybody's gonna play no 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 soccer's <laughs> about meritocracy my friend just because you're on the team that doesn't mean that you're gonna come out out, out, out of the bench and play I when I was 10 11 I made the team but for two years I was sitting on the bench watching the guys play and I wasn't wasn't having one minute and that made me what either I, I would quit or I would go hard and train harder. Harder, harder. So I, I don't. I just don't think that the system is actually helping from a human being development because you're teaching that no matter what, just because you're there, you're gonna get your 15, 20 minutes. No, it's meritocracy, meritocracy. So it's well, that's it's, the old like every kid gets a trophy. It drives me wild. It's like yeah. no, you only get a trophy if you win the yeah. championship or you right. get the MVP. That's it. Right. It's like... Yeah. So I think I think we are creating a system. For soccer in in the U.S., if 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 you don't change that that system, it's not going to help us become a soccer power. Um, house. But, but you know what, Marcio? In in spite of this, yes. what we're talking about, and we know we're we're one hundred percent right, because there's sheer numbers we have playing. Yeah. That we're gonna we're gonna get. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, some player. way, somehow, in a 
300 million country people. Yeah, you're going to have. But I'm saying as... Oh, you're 100% right. Look at Uruguay. They have 3 million people. We have more players under 12 years old than they have citizens, and they produce you know, two or three special players every decade. Exactly. The best player of my team, by the way, as we were talking, I have to show you this, because of course, this is, this is the new jersey of Flamengo. This is the new one. This is for my kid, Gigi, number four. And this is the old replica of Zico in the 80s that I have. Here, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, number two. I, I, I texted. I have a picture with. It's actually it's in the book. Yeah, I got a picture with Zico. And, and <laughs> this, I miss so much the eighties and the nineties because I think the players from Brazil they don't understand what Pelé did. I, and when 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 Pelé died, people say, "Oh, we lost." Uh, no, Brazil had a had an amazing loss. It said Brazil lost. It's biggest ambassador. Pelé oh, was the biggest. Okay. Everywhere in the world you go, you see that jersey here. You knew who it was. 10, people know it because yeah. of that guy. And I and I I wish now that I will become an American citizen, like I wish I can see our American Pelé or Messi or whatever. And that's why I, I'm so passionate about it. You can tell, like, I want to see the US winning a world cup i want to see yeah. that i want to be able to be alive and see that okay we did it we, we we changed it something happened like i just don't know sometimes what to do like and i'm and, and i feel that i'm just a crazy dad here oh this is the grumpy brazilian guy it's always complaining about our system he thinks we are we are uh, you know brazil's the best no 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 i don't think i'm better i just don't think that you guys can do way much better than you're doing right now that, yeah it's oh. it's 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 going to be difficult. You know, if you look at the, you know, the, the history of the world cup, every world cup winning team, they usually have one or two world-class players and all their players that are in the, that are playing, they play for top clubs, not in the top, they play. And, yes. and if you look at us, okay. You know, Pulisic, he's not in the first team and he's actually struggled. I think he was better yeah. when he was 18 years old. Reina, whose talent as it can be, I don't know above the, the shoulders, but, He's not in the first team for Dortmund. You know, McKenney was in and out. At, we don't. We don't have. We don't have eleven players that are playing on top clubs every yeah, week. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. What's Billy Gazonis up to now? What are you? What are you doing now? Well, I'm considering writing another book, but I'm not sure because it, it, it's it's writing is hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I still work because I like to work. Uh, I'm waiting for my daughter to get out of medical school. I don't know if I want to move to, uh, I might consider moving to Florida, but I've, you know, I've grandchildren all over the place. And my one daughter moved, uh, they were all outside of Kansas city. And, they, and my one daughter with four grandchildren moved back to California. And uh, yeah. I, I just don't see myself living in California Understood. for reasons I don't even want to go into. <laughs> oh, totally understand. Totally understand. Yeah. I've got, so I've got your, your, uh, your book, your first one, Great, great read. I'm in, I'm on that chapter eight right now. Got it last week, but it, uh, it's really, it's really interesting. And I just love, uh, love the story that I've gotten to see, read so far about the kind of the same things you guys are talking about. Uh, and like you talked about earlier, Billy is, uh, working hard at it. And, and finally you got your chance and shot and you were able to prove yourself. And that's, uh, that was awesome. I, 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 I've been wrestling for a while of writing a, like a, a real small book on secret, like secret training. 
yeah. like like the things I did because there's certain things I did I think are very like I want to say unique like uh, my mentor used to put me against the fence and just start hammering well hitting balls at me and slowly drilling balls at me and so when you got in the game it was like effortless to control the ball like you know Marcio's showing when he throws the ball and the, the players right. all rigid in that um and just tr try to just focus on a few aspects of of technique and then just show examples but the other thing i find interesting i recently several times i've come across some kobe bryant stuff and and he talked about how he trained how he practiced and and and, and like for me like in the summer for four years five years actually i literally would play almost eight hours a day so who has the advantage me playing three months in a row eight hours a day or the guy that trained one hour a day right or five days it just you know it's sure. a numbers game so sure um i just don't know if young kids read now <laughs> uh yeah that's uh that is true that is true but it's a great it's a great read i encourage anybody anyone and everyone to definitely uh pick up pick up a copy it didn't it took me i think a guy i ordered it and i got it the uh the next day if i'm not mistaken yeah. i also have the same book um it i i added another title i don't know if you could see it i under my name where is it yeah, so everything's it. the same except the title because um i had an incident with a big soccer club that they felt that the name was inappropriate i got you i love the name i love the name i love the name thank you Morris. so just so this way if people liked it but they, they didn't want offensive it's available Understood. and in okay. sales whatever okay so. are you still close to the game now i mean do you do you, you follow what? yeah I, I i watch i i don't coach i you know get people come all the time they want me to come out but you know i don't i don't really have the time um for me this last world cup was spectacular yeah just uh, uh I, I just thought it was such a good world cup the um and and and, and you know we do stupid things sometimes so i bought tickets for um a christmas carol so happened to be when i ordered them for my, my wife and my daughter on december 18th the show's at one o'clock and it's like in princeton so it's like 20 minute drive so we're watching the game we're up you know Argentina's up to nothing. I'm going, we're going to be fine. We're going to leave like 12, 12 o'clock and da, da, da. And then all of a sudden, you know, the game from when Argentina scored that first goal, I yeah. thought from that point to the end of the game it was spectacular. So, so we, we watch like we get to about the first 10 minutes of overtime and we have to leave. So we're going there. And my daughter says, well, we'll just, let's just not talk to anybody. We're hoping in like in the theater, you don't hear people saying who won and my phone was like blowing up with people sending me tech, but, but it was, it worked out because we didn't hear the score. We went back and we put the game back from the, from the, the two to one. And I just thought it was just such a, uh, just so exciting. That's so awesome. Well, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> I like not for me. I was cheering against all the way. Too. It's amazing, Marcio, how there's a, right. It's just like, there's something missing. Like, look at like, like Germany and Brazil, right? You got to talk to two of the, the four top world soccer countries ever. And, and, and Brazil just can't get like, over that know, look, it's going to take another, to be honest, I'm not confident at all with this 2026 world cup. Yeah. I'm hoping that because we won here in 1994, because it's going to be us, Canada, Mexico, I'm all superstitious about that. Uh, but I, I, I am zero, I'm zero hopeful that Brazil is going to, because of that, you know, as you mentioned, every single team that wins a World Cup, it has two or three players being the main player of a league or the main player of a team. We don't have it. I personally, that could be another story for another podcast. I don't like Neymar. 
at all. I think he's a high talent, but I don't like Neymar for me. doesn't represent Brazil at all. We might have a young generation coming, but again, they're not top players in their league. So unfortunately, I see Brazil in a very declining terms of soccer because kids are getting away too soon and they don't have time to develop. So I don't know. But at the same time, I don't see the other... I, I Maybe I am just naive or romantic. I think soccer got worse. I don't see the players that I used to see. I think Messi is the last one that cares that torch of high-skilled players that I used to admire. Mbappé is just, for me, just a... I mean, he's a skill, but he's more fast than yeah. it is skill. Uh, you know, maybe Vinicius Jr. from Brazil, but, you know, he's a he's a left wing. He's not an overall player. So those guys like Zidane, Zico, oh. I don't see those players. I, I just don't. You know, Marcio, part of it, I think the game, of, of course, has gotten the players are more constantly more athletic. But, you know, defensively, the way it's developed, where you know, the teams drop back and they, you know, they have this little umbrella about 25 yards out and. They can, so you have teams that can soak up the pressure, even if there's a big disparity on technical ability. And then they're, you know, they look to, you know, get that one or two chances on the counterattack. But it is the game has constantly gotten more defensive. And yeah. um, hopefully, and I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard, but last week FIFA approved a couple of small changes, but the biggest change was the offside. So the 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 change was, and I think it's going to be starting next year, if I'm not. But the change were, and, and for you, Todd, offside, you have to, if you are, even if your arm is, is in front, it's considered to be offside, especially because of the VR, the VAR. It, it got, now, the new rule is you're not offside if you're, your whole body can be in front. If, 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 if your whole body, if, if sorry, if, if it's just in one little part of your, of your body that is in front, you're not going to be offside. So let's say I'm here. Here's the defender. If I am, if I'm just here, I'm not going to be offside. So maybe, maybe this will push the defensive lines a little bit. Maybe it's going to be back to the old school when the defensive player would mark you just maybe, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling not very optimistic in terms of, <laughs> I want, I want to see Zico Zidane's, Cry. Oh my God. Yeah. I want to see that. And, you know, just my, the last player that I saw was Zidane that, that, oh my gosh, the overall guy, you know, he was, it's amazing that as big as he was, you would think he was five foot four, the way he was with the ball, right? He's just um, unbelievable. Amazing. Uh, oh. Unbelievable. And that's why every time people say, okay, actually the biggest Brazilian rival in world cups is France. France always is beating Brazil. Okay. I would I would have everything to hate them, but actually I love them because every time that they beat us with amazing players, okay, okay. Right. It's with technique, nice. it's not with the brute exactly. and defense, yes. It's not Argentina throwing elbows all the time, it's just with technique, <laughs> with the game. So that's why I really applaud for I mean, France for me for now it has the best team. Yeah. Oh, they so, so Todd, do you think um, Marcio is ever going to show up with an Argentina national team shirt on the podcast? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I don't think so. Never, never. Loses, I don't even think he loses a bet. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm, I, I, I care the rivalry so strong. 
I love wine. And I'm a big wine connoisseur. I love wine. I don't drink Argentina wines. No. <laughs> I don't buy Argentina meats. I just don't. That's serious. But I do have some good Argentina friends. I've, I've been to Buenos Aires many, many times. I have tremendous amount of respect for the players. And one of my idols, I mean, of course, not off the field, but on the field was Maradona. I think Maradona was, oh, was so after, after Pelé, for me, Maradona was the yeah. greatest in terms of talent, the way he was handling the ball. I mean, oh, if, you, if you go into special. YouTube videos, Oh, I know. Watch it's, some of the warm ups when he's just. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> you gotta, you gotta just applaud that. So, yeah. More so, just so you know, I have an Argentina connection, okay. and I'll tell you after. So, my 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 grandfather came over in uh, early 1900s. Him and his brothers, and they opened up some candy stores in Norristown, Pennsylvania. You know, they did pretty good. They came back. They went back to Greece. My grandfather got married, but when it was time to come back to the United States, they weren't taking any American citizens. So my grandfather, with my grandmother, my father's two siblings, they were like five years old and under, and and an aunt, they went to Argentina, and then they paid off some politicians to change their passports, and then they came to the United States. So we do have an Argentinian tie there. There you go. Look, and that's why I love the title of your book. That 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 shows me a little bit. But again, I think the biggest respect that you can have for someone that is a rival, not your enemy, rival, is to kind of, okay, I, I respect them so much from what they can do. And I think, you know, Brazil and Argentina are one of the greatest soccer powerhouses. We're still producing a lot of players. And, but anyway, and I, 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 don't, I don't, I never told my Argentinian friends, maybe they will see after this podcast. <laughs> one of my biggest idols was, Maradona, because I could watch Maradona play, but oh. I was already tired. Maradona was just great. Uh, and great and the beating he would take, like, the, the oh, my God. It's just That's why today, like, those guys like Neymar, they, they took, like, one. Oh, my gosh. Maradona was hit, like, all the time. He would be standing, facing the, the goal. So that, that kind of a player, Pelé, Maradona, Zico, Ronaldinho, like, you the dribble, beatings they took, yeah, unbelievable. But you're gonna go through 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 the goal. That's part of the problem with Pulisic. I'm not comparing Pulisic to those guys, but just that his frame, his legs, he can't yes. take it. Like, yeah, but 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 I think just the fact, as as you mentioned, just the fact that we have an American player playing on the Premier League into a top team. I mean, here in in Oklahoma, every single soccer store. There's a Chelsea jersey with Pulisic. Like I think that 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 helps, and I, oh, I want to yeah, see that sure. more. I want to see more and more and more like having you know American players going to Europe and just playing for other teams, so we can buy jerseys and we can. Oh yeah. I, I I I still think maybe I'm being naive. I still think that I'm going to see the U.S. winning a World Cup. How old so, are you, Marcio? I'm 47. All right, I'm, I just turned 67. So you have a shot. I, I don't think I, my my shot's as good as yours. <laughs> you have a shot. <laughs> That's awesome. That's well, awesome. Thank you so much, Bill. Yes, for, we really uh, appreciate welcome. it very much. I know it's a thrill for me. Um, and I know I would be I would be a bad friend if I didn't ask you to give a shout out to uh, a friend of Marcio and I's Jason Emerson. He's a surgeon here in Oklahoma City. Grew up in the, he was a, uh, set in the Dr. Pepper roughneck end zone. So 
he uh, he he he's a big fan of yours as well. So yes, yeah. yes. He 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 asked you to like, hey, can you give us a shout out? And well, you know, here's, always, a, yeah. here's a shout out to Dr. Jason Emerson, and maybe my when my daughter's looking for residency, he can take care hey, of my daughter. That's awesome. That is that's awesome. awesome. Now, and we, it's awesome. He Go takes ahead. care of all the all my kids that whenever they got broken stuff, hey, Jason, please help out. Does he have his own practice or he works for a big hospital chain? No, he has his own practice. He's, yeah. an, he's an amazing guy. Very well recognized and yeah. is, is very specialized in sports injuries and all yes. of that. Is he in orthopedia? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. Okay. So. It has been a pleasure. I know we could talk all day long and I don't have a respect for your, of your time, but um, maybe we can do it again at some point because I there's just so much. I mean, so much just uh, – I mean, I just, I just, I, I love talking to you. I think it's great. Well, thank it you, Todd. It was uh, my, my pleasure to be uh, very nice for you guys to host me, Marcio. Nice to meet you. Todd, nice to great meet you. job. Uh, I'm going to have to get to see this uh, for sure. Yeah. Reminder, it's on uh, to all of our listeners on YouTube, uh, Fox Den Sports, F-O-X-X, Fox Den Sports. And um, Billy, I can send you over a link to it as well okay. later. If you could do that, yeah, so, that'd be great. And if you don't mind, I'll copy uh, Marcia so he he has a connection with you. If you if you're okay with that, oh, of course, yes. Yeah. So, but yeah. we want to we want to appreciate everybody and uh, thank you for everyone that has been listening and especially thank you to Billy uh, for Marcia. This is Todd Fox and we're signing off. Thank you. Join next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox Dan Sports Podcast. Find us on Facebook at Fox Dan Sports. That's Fox with two X's. Drop us an email at foxdansports at yahoo.com. And be sure to share this podcast with other sports fans in your life. This has been Fox Dan Sports. Fox Dan Sports.